Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think that's right. I always like to say, you know, self-awareness is probably one of the greatest competitive advantages in, in, in business and life, right? Because especially when something works, right? If something actually starts to work, you know, we falsely attribute the things that we did to the things that work and sometimes don't recognize that a lot of chance and circumstance and other people, more importantly, were what enabled us to be successful. And so then we start to take things for granted and we start to, you know, grow our egos and then society again has a way of like humbling us when that happens. It's almost like a, a mechanism to keep people in check because you start to make sloppy decisions. You start to, you know, um, you start to not be paranoid anymore. You start to think you're going to win, right? And as we know, like that's when you start to lose. I feel that's uh, that self-awareness is critical. And, and I think that that's like, the best product leaders I've ever met are never satisfied with their product. And they always think that they're missing something. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Scott Belsky. And as you heard, we are talking about how to reinvent, understand, and use the current landscape of creatives. It is no secret. Influencers, memes, NFTs, any of these things are part of what the new normal is. Creatives are figuring out different ways to express multiple parts of their identity. So how can individuals, how can companies, and how can institutions take advantage of these platforms that allow people to further connect, to further express themselves, and to further solve the problems in the world as is today? It is my belief that the more we create platforms for people to fully be themselves, the better we'll be at seeing each other and solving all the problems we have, hence bridging the divides that currently exist today. Now, Scott has been at the forefront of doing just these things. I hope that you take notes, I hope that you check him out, and I hope that you use a lot of his platforms because I'm excited to see what stories you tell because I'm excited to learn and I'm excited to see what systems of oppression and suppression you break down. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Scott Belsky. Now, Scott is an executive, entrepreneur, author, and investor, all-around product obsessive. He currently serves as Adobe's chief product officer and the executive vice president in Creative Cloud. Scott's passion is to make the creative world more productive, connected, and adaptive to new technologies. Scott co-founded Behance in 2006 and served as the CEO until Adobe acquired Behance in 2012. 
Millions of people use Behance to display their portfolios, as well as track and find top talent across creative industries. After Behance's acquisition, Scott helped kick off Creative Cloud Services and reboot Adobe's mobile product strategy and led Behance until 2016, when he spent a few years as an investor and advisor to multiple businesses. Now, as you heard in bio, we're probably going to be diving into multiple things, but the, the overall theme of today's interview is going to be the idea of what the creative landscape looks like, what the creative market looks like. So it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show, Scott. Thanks, Ty. It's good to be here. Pleasure is mine. I, I, was, I was talking about how I was introduced to you and your work uh, pre-recording, and I was saying this was another lifetime ago. I just graduated from college. I think you had just launched Behance, and I was really hustling to just stay afloat in this uh, e-learning company. We were juggling software industries, and I, I remember coming across your work, and it, it's funny how small the world is, but even then, you still had this passion for you know, making sure that, that the creative landscape was something that people could use and making sure that the functionality wasn't as hard as the previous iterations in the world. So I, I just wanted to commend you on that consistency throughout the years <laughs> and, and it's been there but going back to your early stages were you always into creative work you know i've always i've always been interested in creativity you know i think that it's uh it's what makes the world interesting i think it's you know i feel like we're all on this journey of difference we uh you know we we know what's different about ourselves from others around us, you know, every kid kind of struggles to some degree with not fitting in and, you know, and then the question is, do you, uh, how do you channel that, you know, how do you channel that to be a lens on the world that's different and then how do you express your ideas visually and, you know, and leverage your difference to make a difference. So I, I just feel, I feel like, and then, you know, increasingly in the world of technology and artificial intelligence and all of this machinery that helps us do our jobs faster and achieve productivity. Yeah. I feel like what's gonna help humans stand out in the future is creativity. Wow. So I think there's like a deep guttural need for more people to have access to creative expression. So yeah, it's a passion for, for sure. I gotta ask you, were you, are you familiar with my mission statement and the mission statement of this podcast or my book? It is called use your, well, difference. I mean, use your difference to make I, a difference. <laughs> So you were there saying you that. So yeah, we, we are, we are, we are wholly aligned. No, I mean, I, I know that's, that's been like, you know, a theme throughout, you know, a lot of the guests you've had and um, you know, and I think that uh, the question is like, what are the tools that people use to like channel that unique view on the world, you know, into being like, you know, creating something that's also different. And that's, yeah. that's, it's like the picks and shovels, right. Of creativity has always been interesting to me. The, uh, the, the, the fact that most creative people live their, career in life at the mercy of circumstance they seldom get attribution for their work like i was just inspired by a lot of the problems yeah. um, over the years well one of the things that helps solve problems is when we cultivate environments for ideas to happen and you know in your book one in one of your earlier book you wrote uh about how to do this how to make ideas happen how to overcome the obstacles between vision and reality in your line of work you come across a lot of people that is as an mc entrepreneur you know, executive, you see environments that fuel ideas to happen and you see environments that create those barriers for ideas to happen. Can you talk a little bit about what those obstacles are between vision and reality? 
Well, I think about them in, in some ways like two camps, right? There's the there's the stuff around us and then there's, stu- there's the stuff within us. You know, around us, you know, clearly is the immune system of society that is geared to keep us in our lanes doing what we've been told to do. And that's how we keep the water running, right? I mean, if everyone just picked up tomorrow and said, hey, I'm gonna take a huge risk and try something entirely new and different, then actually we would probably not be able to function as a society. So you could argue that there's some there's some role that this immune system plays and we have to kind of break through and defy it to like, you know, reach escape velocity with an idea. So all those frictions, which everyone knows quite well, I'm sure from our own experiences and the doubts that we get from anyone who don't understand us yet, you know, those are, that's one camp of those obstacles that we can yeah. certainly talk more about. And then yeah. there's the stuff within us, right? Yeah. All the, all the fears, the, uh, the, you know, the, the lack of um, ability to lead a team and to keep people together long enough to figure it out. I mean, there's just a lot of internal obstacles as well. I feel we have to overcome to, you know, push our ideas into reality. There's that, yeah, that self-work that needs to be done first of all, for the environment to occur. But it's interesting in your, in your role as executives, as an executive and an investor in multiple companies, I, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you've come across a lot of people who haven't been able to overcome themselves as they're trying to solve a problem. And then it showed up eventually because they didn't do that yeah. hard work. Yeah. I think that's right. I always like to say, you know, self-awareness is probably one of the greatest competitive advantages in, in, in business and life, right? Yeah. Because especially when something works, right? If something actually starts to work, you know, we falsely attribute the things that we did to the things that work. And sometimes don't recognize that a lot of chance and circumstance and other people, more importantly, were what enabled us to be successful. And so then we start to take things for granted and we start to, you know, grow our egos. And then society again has a way of like humbling us when that happens. It's almost like a a mechanism to keep people in check because you start to make sloppy decisions. You start to, you know, um, you start to not be paranoid anymore. You start to think you're going to win. Right. Yeah. And as we know, like that's when you start to lose. I feel that's uh, that self-awareness is critical. And, and I think that that's like the best product leaders I've ever met are never satisfied with their product. Oh. And they always think that they're missing something. And, um, you know, and I always like to say, you know, to my team, you know, what I love about leaders is when they're optimistic about the future, but pessimistic and pragmatic about the present. Like today should always be about what are we missing? What are we doing wrong? But look at what we have to achieve. Like, look how amazing this can actually be. I feel like you have to have that balance. So endure, optimize and finish. I don't know if you've heard that before, but. <laughs> yep. I'm all about anyway. that endure, optimize and finish. That's the but, second book. <laughs> yes. Uh, the audience, by the way, uh, that's the, the, the way his second book, the, the messy middle is broken down and it's basically broken down to three sections. And uh, I was playing a role on that because I was going through that earlier. And a lot of what you're saying that enduring the roller coaster of success and failures, uh, optimizing what's working so you can, you know, improve and then finishing strong. I find frameworks very effective and you know, easy. Yeah. Easy to, to memorize. Maybe it's the professor in me, but I like that you have broken it down into such a, a framework that is applicable to many people. At first it might sound easy, but it isn't simple to apply, right? The, even the, the first concept of enduring 
the inevitable roller coaster. Even if we're looking at the last 19 months, it, you can see what's happening, right? With the way yeah. the creative industry is, has shifted and then optimizing and then finishing based on that. Yeah, I mean, listen, like we all know that things get hard, you know, um, we have to make things better and, you know, whatever was working, we have to optimize to make better. I mean, that's the stuff we actually ultimately stand out. You know, we don't stand out by um, overcoming, overcoming something that's hard. You know, you stand out more by something that you're great at, like, yeah. you know, taking it to the next level and truly being exceptional at something. So, however, I think it's the tactics that are not so intuitive. That's right. You know, uh, the, the hacks you have to do to your own reward system, for example, in the early stage of a venture or a journey or bold project, um, just to keep yourselves engaged long enough to, you know, have the odds work for you as opposed to against you. Um, you know, in the optimization side, it's like, you know, we, we, we typically spend so much time fixing what's broken and a lot of teams fail to optimize the things that are really working for them, but also in how they work. So it's funny, like we A-B test our products, which is that terminology for, you know, changing the button and then seeing which version performs better and then adopting the change and doing another test and another test. But we don't really A-B test how we work. So, you know, if we're like, hey, we you know, have a meeting every Monday and we use this tool and we use that tool and see, things seem to be working, yeah. it's like, all right, we'll just stick with it. When in fact, that's crazy, right? Like, why would you A-B test and optimize the customer experience but not the way you're actually functioning to build yourself, especially if you're going to distinguish yourself and your team based on how you're able to work together. It's like, yeah. of course you have to spend energy on that. So but that was kind of the, that was that project was exploring some of those, those uh, insights. Well, let, let's use that as the framework for the rest of this industry uh, interview. Uh, rather. Yeah. So I'm looking at the creative landscape right now, you, you yep. know, and let's look at TikTok, Discord, yep. YouTube, meme crypto every single one of these things they've undergone such rapid change even let's say even the last six months and then even different yeah. from the last 12 months and 18 months and it's brought about interesting you know responses where some people are excited by this and some are increasingly resistant to the idea of what this is i'm curious to to hear your opinion on where you see the creative world going with this you know, rapid evolution of, you know, platforms that are creating opportunities for people to create content? Well, it's pretty amazing. We've always known that expression content is king, right? I mean, we always have known that at the end of the day, people can build platforms, whether it's movie theaters or record labels or technology like Walkman or whatever else, but it's the content that ultimately determines, you know, what people are doing with their time. And, and, uh, it's at the end of the day, creators behind that content, except we were always sort of at the mercy of the middleman. And, you know, you had to know somebody who had to be signed, you had to. So it's just a really exciting, obviously, that a lot of those gatekeepers are gone. We can start to put our content out there and people can start to listen. But of course it's on platforms that have their own business models and have their own algorithmic feeds and basically just try to tax, you know, the, the system with ads for people who consume our content. And so these content creators, on the one hand, have been able to reach their audience for the first time without having to um, sell themselves, so to speak, but actually they have kind of sold themselves because they're not really able to directly own and monetize their audience, right? 
And, and so then the question is, well, what can we, what can transform and flip here? And I think this is where the whole notion of the creator economy comes in, right. because you've got all these viewers on TikTok or YouTube or Facebook or whatever, what are you going to do? So I had, you know, a lot of startups are creating these kind of make your own store type of tools where you can actually, you know, collect, uh, make a collection of stuff people can buy directly from drop shippers that you have nothing to do with. And you're just the content creator that's merchandising and narrating the story of why these products are cool, why this fashion is cool, and why this jewelry is cool. So that's one fact of monetization. Obviously, there's the whole, you know, genre of the Patreons of the world that you can subscribe to someone's content and you know have a have a connection with the creator and then there's a the whole nft space which is you can buy the you know the rights to be the owner you know on the ledger of the blockchain you know and be the it's again another way though of honestly just being a collector a community of an artist and all of these things whether i'm wearing the jewelry the shoes you know paying to have premium access to your content or buying the nft of something it's all the same right i'm just I'm mesmerized and inspired by your content. You know, I want to be closer to you. I want to, I want to be part of this movement. You know, how can I do that? And how can, whether through fashion taste or anything else. And I just think it's extraordinarily exciting. However, it all boils down to content still, right? And, um, and that's what is exciting to me, whether it's audio, visual, animation, motion, imagery, you know, it's content. And it's got to stand out, and uh, and that's so that's that's why I love being in the creative tools space. You know, I love working with other teams. You know, exploring models and platforms to help creators galvanize their audience. And I'm excited because I think that in the future you're going to use all these like platforms like TikTok or whatever just to reach an audience, and then it's yeah. going to be a race to sort of convert them into an owned experience via email or subscription or something else. Yeah, I mean, and you have said in the past that the renaissance is driven by the power of mobile first tools. And it's basically supercharged the pace of how and what people create. So it's interesting to see yeah. what can happen with the mobile phone. And we're gonna, we're gonna run into this stuff everywhere. I mean, mobile for sure, but also, you know, in the augmented reality and virtual worlds that we inhabit, it's gonna get crazy. In <laughs> I, well, I was watching, uh, it was Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, I was, he was talking about Meta. And then he turned into, someone else <laughs> or <laughs> an augmented reality version of himself or v i never know how to distinguish it to vr or ar yeah. uh but it is interesting and then you know you hear a lot of the billionaires you know uh, elon musk and everyone talking about this version now on one end it does create this idea of are we experiencing the real life irobot happening here or is this really the way of building community and connection yeah, you know, I think that, well, I think, first of all, I think that technologies ultimately succeed when they, in some weird way, take us back to the way things once were, but with more efficiency and scale. Yeah. So you loved, you know, or we all, I guess, generally loved a couple hundred years ago in our small town, walking around and knowing everyone, you know? You want to you want to walk into a store and have them be like, oh hey Tyle, check this out, or oh hi Scott, do you you know they know I'm a vegetarian, or you know every yeah. you, everyone wants to be known, and everyone wants to have a personalized experience in their lives. Um, 
you know, you want to walk down the street and know the connections to everyone. And of course, when you, you know, over time at scale and cities and everything else that became impossible and think back, you know, think now to a world in which we put on our glasses. And as we walk around, everyone knows the things we want them to know about us and we know what we want to know about them. And suddenly like everyone's hyper-connected again and you walk into a restaurant, the person sees your information above your head and they welcome you by name and they know what you like and don't like and whatever else. And it sort of gives that sensation of the way things maybe once were, you know, but with more efficiency and scale. And so I feel like a lot of these platforms, we often are scared of the implications for us and for society, which is true. We should be because technologists have a bad history of being creative about what can go right, but not being creative about what can go wrong. Yeah. But, you know, we also need to have some faith that humans ultimately want to like return to some of those roots of like, what we, what we wished life could still be. And I'm hopeful that some of these technologies will take us back there. Huh. Yeah, you know, that's the most optimistic uh, uh, response I've gotten. So I'm going to take that just because <laughs> I'm an optimist. I'll bait an angry optimist. I'm an optimist. And I, I, I do think there is a tremendous amount of power when we use the right tools to connect us. Because, you know, as humans, we are primed for connection. It's just like you said, you know, going back to the way things were, where we knew uh each other and making sure yeah. that we, we get there huh what's also funny just as a side note you know there's a big backlash now to ad tech you know and everyone wants to opt out of being tracked and you know there's the whole industry is changing as a result of this and i you know i feel similar ways like i don't like having creepy ads track me on the internet and stuff like that yeah but at the same time like i want to be known right so I actually think there's going to be a switch back. You know, at some point you're going to be like, well, actually I do want every store that I go into to know certain things about me, you know? Yeah. Because I don't like the alternative. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But okay. So speaking of being known, because I want to stay with this, the idea of influencers who are yep. now the, the, the people that are, are known, they are marketers. I, I go on my TikTok and I, I just saw, um, uh, was uh, I forget his name, but it was from Ted Lasso. He was advertising uh, for TikTok, and then and the same, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is football. Football is life. Uh, <laughs> football but, is life. Yeah, football is life. Just wanted to stop by here before we get back to the episode. I wanted to let you all know that I do have a collective for people who are interested in developing their cultural competency skills, becoming more anti-racist, and it's a resource of. Things that you can do with your family, with your school, with yourself to work through your individual journey to become a better culturally competent leader. It's called UID Collective, and the link is in the show notes, but it's a mix of courses. It's a mix of resources, things you can download, and all you need to do is sign up as a member. It's a monthly membership. I'd love for you to check it out. Use it with your friends. Use it with your family. Use it with yourself. Okay, the link is in the show notes. It's called UID Collective, and it's for those of you that want to improve your cultural competency skills. Back to the episode. And 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 then uh, you see other influencers who they have five hundred thousand followers, a million followers, even some was you know twenty thousand, thirty thousand. And you said something that was fascinating when I was doing the research. You said fifty percent of global creative population today includes creative communicators, so novice creators with no professional train or skills is that yeah. scary for people i mean I, i'm i'm wondering like do you need experience 
to, to be able to be a creative communicator or is it better to just work with people that don't have the experience in, in these areas? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, uh, I just fundamentally believe that humans kind of goes back to that Picasso quote that everyone's born an artist and then the struggle is to just stay an artist as we age. And so I believe that wholeheartedly. I mean, have you ever met a kid that doesn't look at the world curiously and in a creative way and no. says things and notices things that we don't notice anymore, mm -hmm. right? So it's in all of us. It's in all of us. It's just like, it's just hammered out of us through this industrial revolution of education that we go through. Yeah. You know, you don't get good grades for being creative. You get good grades for memorization and performing on a test and like, just, we beat it out of kids. And it's so mm -hmm. sad to me. Um, so I, I just think that, I think that it's a, it's a, so of course we're all creative. It's probably more than 50% of all of us. It's probably all of us to some extent. Yeah. We just don't either have the self-esteem or the tools or the encouragement or the audience, you know, or the opportunity, you know, it's a, I mean, listen, let's also be honest, right? Like I think a lot about jobs, you know, and. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You and I are lucky enough to have jobs where we want to tune in to the work we're doing. Right. A lot of people, in fact, most people in this world have jobs where they probably want to tune out from what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So you've got like the tune in jobs and the tune out jobs. Um, and the tune in jobs are ones where you like want to be creative because that's valued and you're like engaging in the content. And the tune out job is like the mindless, like you're probably trying to think of something else other than what you're doing. So it's, I think it's a cool novel. You know, it's a cool idea to try to hope that more of humanity can be in tune in jobs as opposed to tune out jobs. And I feel like creative expression and the tools for creativity are the building blocks or at least stepping stones in that direction. And I hope everyone, you know, finds their, their path there. Me too. And to your point, two things occurred you know, recently when the world shut down, a lot of people flocked to TikTok. And these were, yeah. you know, primarily it was a Gen Z platform. And then you have all these people who are, whether dancing, expressing, or just talking and just tapping into those moments that have been drummed out of us as we get older, because yep. you can't be creative and be considered professional. At least that was the prevailing narrative before. And then you have the, the great resignation, which has been happening specifically even since uh, spring of this year, where a lot of people have come to that idea and realization that, you know, 
I don't want to just work in a place that doesn't serve my purpose anymore. You know, I built a, you know, business here. I want to spend more time with this. I want to create that flexibility. And it's, it's interesting watching how these trends are basically the new norm, but it's also interesting watching as some organizations or hoping for the old norm. And I, I, yeah. I like you, don't think that that's ever going to come back. I think once you, you get a taste of what is, it is like to actually have agency, you start to understand that you can dictate some things on your own term here. And, and maybe, you know, maybe part of it is this whole notion of the, um, of the side hustle or the side gig or whatever yeah. we call it, where it's becoming increasingly acceptable to have another persona, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In fact, in the Web3 world, a lot of the pseudonymous, you know, personas are emerging where people literally have another identity expressed by some cool NFT that they found. And yeah. they're just truly able to be whatever they want to be, right? Without any of the weight associated with um, what's your real job or where do you really live or where, or what, you know, what's, what, what's your, you know, real background or, of course, also race, gender, everything else, yeah. right? Like people, it's like a, it's a fascinating, you know, um, new trend of like people having that side hustle slash persona, persona slash identity. And, uh, and, you know, maybe that's kind of the taste we all need to be able to believe that we can be whatever we want to be, you know, and escape whatever was prescribed to us. Yeah. Uh, and so now couple that with your point about the great resignation, or as I like to call it, the great reassessment, Ooh. right? It's like, okay, I like that. It's like, cause then, you know, you're looking at it, you're like, well, let me, let me think about this. Like in that other identity I have where I'm creating music or, you know, doing this on TikTok or whatever else, I'm like myself, like I'm more of myself than like this other, you know, physical identity that I just, you know, and my day job that I just fell into based on circumstance in my life. Um, and then maybe like, that's the reassessment of like, well, maybe I'm going to shift more energy towards that new self of my own and maybe even make a career of it. 100%. No, it's true. And again, to your point, enduring, optimizing and finishing. And I think a lot of people are realizing how to optimize here because, yeah. you know, we are more than just whatever, you know, the world assigns us as. There's a great quote that says, you, you know, in a world uh, that is constantly trying to tell you who you are, the, the strongest or greatest thing you can do is to be yourself. Uh, e. Cummins, but I'm, I'm sure I'm yeah, yeah. Butchering, butchering it. But it's, it's <laughs> that, that point where people are being, you know, I guess rewarded for being themselves now. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful social experiment to see. Uh, but in, in terms of social experiments, I, I like to, I study human behavior for a living. And one of the things that I study is, are the social contracts that we sign and the social constructs that we believe in. And if you look at the social mm -hmm. constructs that we believe in, one of those things has been money or mm -hmm. where we assign value. Now, yep. we've seen crypto, seen NFTs, which I would love you to explain a little bit more. I think I know a little bit more about crypto than NFT, but the, 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 I, this, the idea of this being a social construct and now we're now given you know, value and meaning is so fascinating to me because who is to say that, hey, this paper is worth this. 
and then all of a sudden it becomes what we we believe is valuable uh, valuable for centuries and thousands of years. Yeah. Like, gold and all these things. And now there's a new <laughs> or there's a series of new memes, NFTs and opportunities for people to say this is now worth this. And it's so interesting to observe human behavior as we navigate towards that. So I guess the lo- it's a long-winded way of asking, how do you see the world of NFTs and crypto and meme culture changing yeah. how we assign value now? Oh, wow. That's a big one to unpack. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll try. I'll try. Like, you know, we got some time. Let's do yeah. it. Uh, well, a couple, a couple things. I mean, first of all, there's always been there, there, there have always been um, the notion of collectors of things, right? That yeah. a small community believes are valuable, right? So whether it's asteroids, you know, people collect little bits and pieces of asteroids that have fallen to earth and there's a market for people who are collectors of this. And then of course, baseball cards and autographs. And, but the thing is, is these were all kind of niche communities that retained value based on, in some ways, the illiquidity of it. And, you know, it was just kind of, yeah, you could go to a baseball card show and try to sell or trade with someone else, or you could go to a rock collector show or whatever else. But, um, but there wasn't like an efficient market, you know, and transparency and, and, uh, and now like with the internet, you know, anyone can not only participate in this and see the transparency in real time of what these artifacts are worth and why they're worth something to somebody. Um, and they're all just like, you know, ultimately pieces of paper printed or they're pieces of rock found. Like, you know, they're, you know, people always say, oh, but it's a JPEG. It's like, well, so it's a rock. I mean, so it's a piece of paper, paper. with oil on it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it doesn't, you know, it's, it's really about what people feel about it and the ability to determine scarcity and provenance of the object, right? So I need to make sure it's an asteroid piece for it to be valuable. I need to make sure it's a Van Gogh to make sure that it's valuable. I need to make sure that it's the one that Tile minted on the blockchain for it to be valuable. Same thing, right? Now, memes. Memes are these cool nifty little meaning compression vehicles, right? That in one image relays so much more than the image itself. It, it you know, it's, it's, I like to call it memory or meaning compression because meaning compression, because it, you know, collapses so many concepts and points of view and irony and humor into one image and you look at it and instantly you like understand something. That you didn't understand before. So, you know, someone like is making a comment about inflation or whatever, and they, you know, make a they they use what a popular meme where you have the government saying one thing, the people saying another, and the government saying the third thing. Suddenly you get like the point that this person is trying to relay. And I think that that has also driven the um, the community sort of affirmation and belief in these new assets that we're talking about, because memes are very efficient ways of educating people and spreading meaning, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. in some ways in the meme stocks, were really in some ways that it was like communities spreading inside jokes and beliefs about an asset, you know, with one another in a viral fashion. And so that is, you know, certainly 
supporting this idea of this alternative asset, you know, a network slash bubble to some extent. And, um, and you know, and, and I think that crypto blockchain technology is made for this because it's decentralized. You know, there's no single authority that's saying asteroids are now worth this or baseball cards are now worth that. Now it's like, who knows who these people are? No one even knows if Satoshi Nakamoto is a person, is a or, person a group, yeah. <laughs> or a man or a woman or like it's 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 a no one knows yeah and and because that's the point right and so yeah. I, I it's listen like all new technology it is a little bit abused before it's thoughtfully used it grows a little bit too fast before it comes back and then grows in a more stable fashion like of course there's a bubble of some sort going on right now and of course there's you know, bad use cases and scams, just like there was with the VHS tape and the internet exactly. and all this other stuff, right? Exactly. So that's my attempt. <laughs> no, I love it. And, and I, I love it because I'm in the field where I'm studying systems. And this mm -hmm. feels like a time where, like you said, it's decentralized, where more people have access to opportunities that might have been limited to, you know, only a select group of people before, right? Maybe if you invest at the right time, you have access to wealth that you couldn't have had. I saw a story about someone investing 8,000 in Shiba Inu in January, became a millionaire. It was 34, yeah. maybe 32, right? You can now retire, yeah. right? That's incredible. Now, obviously you have those people that probably lose more, but the idea yeah. is that's, you know, a guy that maybe didn't see a path for himself to become a millionaire in a year. And so there was that as well. And so it's, and it's, you know, if yeah. you, look, you look at early adopters of this technology, you're right. Most of them are young. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 um, you know, I don't know for sure, like what the income or demographics information is of early adopters in some of this crypto stuff, but they were at least initially not the millionaires and the finance, you know, suited up people. These are people who, bought into this collective vision and belief system through the memes and everything else we just discussed. And, you know, in some weird way, maybe it's a wealth transfer mechanism. It's society kind of putting a solve in for some of the stuff that isn't yet solved. And, uh, and then of course, you know, now it's, you know, now other uh, big institutions are like, well, maybe we should own some Bitcoin, which actually helps the early adopters it because does. then they're right. So no, yeah, it does. It gives a validation, right? That's essentially, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I do want to say this. You and I both have an MBA. I, you got it from an Ivy League, Harvard. <laughs> I got it from uh, uh, Fordham, Fordham University here in, in New York City. But I bring that MBA up because at least me being Nigerian, it was drummed into me. You know, hmm. once I couldn't make it into, I made it to the final round of Cornell, which was your undergrad. And then he said, no. <laughs> and then uh, it was drummed to me. If you didn't make an Ivy League, at least get some paperwork that sort of gives you like validation, get an MBA. That's the only way to succeed. I find that very interesting now where I'm, I'm a professor and I'm teaching students when I'm not consulting and doing all, and, you know, creating content where I'm having a different conversation with my students where I'm saying, you don't, actually, you don't even need <laughs> to graduate with this yeah. <laughs> and i'm talking about to them about the undergrad mm -hmm. what you do need is to be able to understand how you think why you think the way you think yeah 
and to understand a problem you're trying to solve. And that's what I always try to teach. Mm-hmm. And they're always surprised. They're always surprised. That they're like, wait, why are you telling me this? I'm like, because right. I know it's not true. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting seeing that because I do think maybe in the past, there might've been a whole system based on that, right? To take you and have you be in debt you know, for X amount of time. And now you have all these opportunities, whether it's meme, influence or culture. If you use it the right way, you can still influence culture and create meaningful change. I agree. And listen, I mean, I had so much opportunity by going to good schools and that kind of stuff. But I also have to say that as someone who is now in the hiring position, I don't care where anyone went to school. And in fact, some of my best employees, early days of Behance, I realized never even finished college. I never even bothered to ask. I mean, what matters to me is creativity combined with initiative. Yeah. Like that's how you make an impact, right? Is you have some idea, you see something differently, you have the initiative to do something about it. And which by the way, one of my favorite uh, lines of this is this guy, Josh Wolf, this investor who always likes to say, chips on shoulders equals chips in pockets. <laughs> and <laughs> and, you know, like talk about initiative, like you're, you're more, maybe more likely to get initiative from someone who like didn't get into that school 100%. or, you know, felt like they had something to prove than oh someone God. who's just been like sort of, you know, spoon fed and led through the process through, you know, uh, connections and whatever else. And so I, I think that that's, well, we both know that's true. Yeah. I just think it's starting like the society is starting to wake up to this as well. Yeah. And, um, and listen, like, you know, I, I can't, you know, when I got my MBA, I don't, I, I do think that the value of dropping out would have probably exceeded the value of getting it really <laughs> um, just because absolutely. Like, you know, there's lots of people who have right. an MBA, even a Harvard MBA, yeah. but there are not many people who like took the risk to just like say, F this, I'm going to go and start my company. And uh, you know, that's more interesting. Right. Yeah. And I also don't think in my world, you know, having an MBA, at least in my industry, you know, is not necessarily like so important, right? I mean, in, in tech or in creativity or design or, you know, that, that sort of thing. So, so listen, I think, you're, I think your point is right, which is that um, you know, we more than ever before should not feel like we have to go through that traditional system or get that traditional stamp of approval from some antiquated institution to, to feel like we're worthy, right? Right, to like, feel It exactly. is creativity combined with initiative. Yeah, I, and, and, and that, that's, the, that's the only point because obviously, I, you know, there's value if you find value and I, I don't want anyone to think that, but I do think it's the assigning of the value, right? Because like to Josh's point, the quote you made, I'm the guy that had the chips in the shoulder because I, I remember 85 plus job rejections, uh, five MBA rejections, including all the, I always remember all these things and I'm like, oh, okay, you. You turn me down. But for yeah. me, it served as a, like you said, a chip on, on the shoulder, whether it's the athlete in me or any of that. But I do find that whenever I got those rejection letters, I was always looking, I was like, wait, why? What did, what did I do wrong? And then after some distance from me, I was like, it's okay. You know, it's fine. It's okay to be able to do the yeah. self-work and figure out what it is that you want to do and don't assign all your value to someone else's opinion of you. And, and, and yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a balance. Right. And so, um, yeah, that, that's something I've just, I've always told people like, yeah, you might get a rejection now, but that doesn't mean that you aren't valuable. Yeah. yeah. So, In yeah. fact, yeah. I would even argue that the more 
the more prone you are to make an impact in this world, the more likely you are to get rejected. Back Facts. to that whole like society's immune system, right? Facts. You know, they're, everyone's looking for like a checklist of stuff. Yeah. And the more deviating you are from that checklist, the less likely these traditional institutions are to accept you, but the more likely you are to like see the world differently. And to your point, make the difference, right? Right, um, yeah. So, so that's what's twisted about this whole thing. And yeah. listen, I have to be careful because I also benefited. I went to these schools. And, same, I, same, you know, <laughs> yeah. same. Right. Wait. So it's like easy for us to say like, oh yeah, you don't have to go to college. Like when we did, <laughs> we got our MBAs and whatever else. 100%. But you know what's fascinating though, especially now, uh, I remember when I was getting my MBA at uh, Fordham, uh, I, I was just conditionally accepted, right? I, I, I had a GPA, it was 3.7 or 3.8, but my GMAT was just- Higher than mine. Yeah, well, my, G, my GMAT was not the best. And so they said, we need you to do statistics and business law and another thing. And I, I, just, I decided that I wasn't going to do that because I had done the math and I was, I was going to graduate later than my cohort. So I took six classes instead. And I think I got a three nine and I went there and I told her, hey, here are my grades. And she was so mad at me. She said, we only ask you to do three classes, but I found the loophole and I said, now you can't tell me I can't do it. So they took up the condition except. But the interesting thing was I got, I had a double concentration. It was marketing and communications, which I still use now, but I wasn't taught what I do now. I just had it on the paper. I launched my business while I was there. And the response was, you're out of your mind. <laughs> There's no way because I because it was with a podcast. It was 2014. I just started podcasting yeah. this podcast, and they said, "What is a podcast?" There's no way to see that. And I say this to say I was fired twice subsequently, so they they were continuously proved uh, proven right. But eventually, the market corrected, and and it mm -hmm. wasn't something I saw. I just at that point, I think I just recognized that I didn't want to do anything that I didn't find valuable. I didn't actually know if I would be successful. So I'm not saying this for anyone to just throw it away and not, you know, not be cautious or anything. Cause I, you know, there were, you, you live in New York city. If you have no source of income in your twenties, hundred percent. Yeah. And so Listen, it, it's, a, if it's a balance. I, if I'm honest, like business school was a hedge for me. Like I was starting my business just like you in business yeah. school. Um, like you, I also was told like, what are you doing? I remember when I, I didn't drop a resume for an internship, my first year of business school, and this was back in 2006 and they called me and said like, are you okay? Like, are you sick? Like what happened? Uh, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm not sick. I just, I, I'm like working in my own company this summer. Um, and so, you know, there's a big part of me that said, why am I spending money and going to school? I should just be focusing on my team, you know and just building this, yeah. but it was sort of a hedge. I was kind of like, hey, if this doesn't work out like I need to get a job, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. no, that's beautiful. Well, as, as we get ready to close, I want you to, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about what's coming up for you, how people can reach out to you and engage with your platforms. Yeah, well, listen, like, you know, love this conversation. You know, I think that the, a big, a big focus of, of mine right now, you know, in my role at Adobe is to make sure that we achieve this mission of creativity for all. You know, that's actually the, the mission of Creative Cloud. And we have fallen short in the sense that products like Photoshop, Premiere Pro for video editors, you know, Illustrator for graphic designers, illustration illustrators um, are too hard to use for a lot of people. And so, you know, one of the things we're doing is we are um, trying to make them far easier and, you know, really 
ensure that anyone can come in and start using, but we're also trying to build some products that we're going to relaunch over the next few months that are, first of all, free for everyone to start using and also far easier, like far more accessible um, and enable, you know, all to the points we just made, like people need to have a path towards creative expression in order to like be successful in their careers increasingly. Like we can't, you know, we can't uh, confine creative thinking to an art class once a week on Fridays at school, yeah. like kids and even adults, you know, we need to like do that side hustle that ends up causing our reassessment of our life, you know, in school, we have to do that, you know, use creative tools in a way to express ourselves so we can learn how to then be a content creator, you know, and have a, a safe career in this world of, you know, AI and robotics and everything else being automated. And so it's, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of like the focal point that drives me every day these days is actually achieving that mission on a global scale, you know, and what that could mean for people and empowering, you know, people in their lives. Well, I love that. And I'll make sure we'll, you know, we'll grab the links and put them in the show notes so people can access that. Uh, That'd be awesome. Yeah. The last question is my mission statement. You touched it in earlier. I always ask my guests this at the end. So Scott, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Yeah, I think that one of my differences is, you know, I'm actually not a big company guy, to be honest. You know, I, I was an entrepreneur. I, um, I like the process of making stuff early on and like sort of setting a strategy, planting a flag, that sort of thing. And, um, and yet I have, you know, embarked on a career leading product in a very big company, but it's, uh, but it's a big company um, in a very, kind of early stage space to me, in my view, which is creativity. And, you know, traditionally it's been focusing on outfitting creative professionals. Now it's like really trying to make sure that everyone else is accounted for. And so, I, you know, I, I look at, I look at the, the daily frictions of, of, uh, of leading in a, in a large company. And I think about, all right, like I I'm, I'm quite different here, yeah. but, um, but it's, a, I think it's a path to making an impact that matters. So that's, that's, that's what I hope. Well, you've done a great job of it. Like I've said, I, I remember hearing your name when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then when I did figure it out, and it's great to see that consistency because uh, I've definitely used a lot of your platforms to tell stories. So it's a thanks, great thanks, honor. And, and like, listen, like the work that you do and the amount of people that listen and learn and feel inspired and supported, it's just like, it's just so awesome for the ecosystem. So awesome. And I'm, I'm just honored to be uh, on your list of guests now. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that, Scott. Uh, well, it's a pleasure to have you on here. And I'm looking forward to possibly running into you on Friday. This probably, I will this, look this, for you. Sounds yeah, good. No problem. Uh, Kings, Queens, Royalty. Till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.